All right, we got a hot podcast coming up. We got some. Uh, we got a little talk about uh, acid or LSD and what a bad trip can do to you. Uh, time travel is it real? I don't know. This is the We're Having a Good Time podcast. I'm your host, Dusty Slay, and back with us, my co-host, the very funny, the very lovely, Hannah Hogan. Thank you. Thank you, thank you all very much. Hannah Hogan has been gone for three weeks. Now, the first week she was gone, we had her record a separate thing, so she was still with us a bit. But then the last two weeks, she's been completely gone, and mm-hmm. I'm very happy to have her back. Mm-hmm. And so she is back. Yeah, it's great to be back, Dusty. Nice to see you again. I had a great time on my travels, uh, but it's good to be back in the studio here at We're Having a Good Time. Yes. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. Uh, where have we been? Mm. And uh, why don't you go ahead and, and this is our segment that I like to call uh, Where We've where been, been, Where, where We're going. going. Well, uh, I have been in a few different places. I've been, uh, I, I drove up to. Buffalo, New York, about three weeks ago, and I featured for the fabulous Jimmy Pardo, and I had a good weekend there at the Helium Comedy Club up there in Buffalo, New York. Now, Buffalo is right on the border of uh, Canada and the U.S., so I thought, hell, you know, I'm going to be up there. Let's go back up to Canada. So then I went up to Toronto, and I hung out with my friend Kristen. I stayed with her for a few days. I did a few local comedy shows. I ran into some old friends. And then it was my father's birthday on July 7th. So I hung out with my dad and my brother, and we had a great time. And then uh, after that, I uh, headed to... Um, uh, I guess I went down to Springfield, uh, Springfield, Missouri. Missouri. Yes. Springfield, Missouri. And I Blue broke room comedy club, Christopher yeah. Michael Ray. Yeah. I broke that drive up because from Ontario to Missouri is like, I think probably 13 hours or something like that. So I broke that up and I stayed somewhere in, I don't know, Indiana, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. It's kind of a blur. Yeah, some town in Missouri. I felt like you were pretty close to St. Louis. Yeah. So maybe it was Illinois that you were in, but either yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, and then I did shows at the Blue Room Comedy Club this past weekend with Tim Gaither. And that's a gentleman, a funny man from Los Angeles. And I had a great time at the Blue Room Comedy Club. It's a great club in Springfield, fun. Missouri. Uh, Christopher Michael Ray runs that club. Great dude. Had a great time. And I got to hang out with a lot of the locals. And um, yeah, I guess that's it. That's that's where I've been in a nutshell. Great. Well, last week, I've been recapping every week, so I'll just do the one weekend. Last weekend, I went to uh, 30A down in Florida, which is uh, really in between Seaside, Florida and Panama City Beach. Uh, Family area. My friend owns a beach house down there, so we hung out with some old high school friends. And it was interesting to me that one of the friends that I knew in high school, but not earlier than that, He had said to me, he said, because he used to party at my mom's house all the time, and he said to me that, he's like, you keep making all these trailer park jokes, but he's like, when I knew you, you lived in a house. And it's like, that's the thing. The funny thing about it is from from two years old to 14 years old, I lived in a trailer park. I moved out at 14, and then I moved back into a trailer at 18 on my own. (laughs) 
So there was a short window. Maybe it was 19. Yeah, there was a short window of about four or five years where I did not live in a trailer park. And I met some friends during that time. And this group of friends that I went down with were all of my friends that, that, that didn't really know me during the trailer park time. I have a lot of different segments of friends from the different places I've lived. And uh, But yeah, I mean, my... My mom's house for a while was a real source of a party for me. Like uh, uh, most people that went to high school with me know about that. I mean, my mom was gone. She had a boyfriend and also my grandmother got sick. So she would stay with them a pretty good bit. And I had a house all to myself. And I would party. And I got caught a few times. Uh, Not every time, but I got caught a few times. So I would party. But anyway, I went to Panama City Beach basically. Had a great time, hung out with my friends. Uh, you know, we're all getting older, and they're married, and they have families, and they get down there and go wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wild days are behind me. Uh, I'm much more calm and much, I, and I feel great. There's a lot of wild skeletons in my closet, but uh, <laughs> I don't know what skeletons in the closet means, really. I think also, like on a guy's, you know, weekend away or whatever, if you're not. If you don't drink alcohol, like you don't drink alcohol, I think you kind of miss that uh, that vibe. Oh, I think, totally. I think big big weekends away on a beach house is all about the drinking, and you know you don't do that. So yeah, there's nothing like being up at four a.m. and can really barely formulate a sentence, and you're struggling to smoke that last cigarette that's hanging from your mouth, and you're just drinking, talking with a buddy. It is a great time, mm. but I don't miss it that much. Yeah. But I want to say, uh, and so that's where we've been, and now where we're going this weekend. Hannah, you're at Zany's? Oh, yeah, that's right. I am at Zany's this weekend. I'll be working with Emo Phillips and Tom Arnold. Great. Tom Arnold and Emo Phillips. That's cool. Yeah. And I'll be uh, in Coleman, Alabama tomorrow night at May's Food Hall. Uh, But then I don't have anything else for the rest of the weekend. So uh, I feel great. Um, so I'll be making the bread this you'll weekend. You'll be making the bread, the fudge. You're making the fudge this weekend. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I won't be. It's good to be back with you too, Dusty. We haven't seen each other for about three weeks. I know. It is great. We did Hannah's podcast yesterday, which is called My Mom is Dead. Mm-hmm. So if you want to hear that one, that was a fun one. Uh, and I, and uh, so that's, that's where we've been, where we're going. And I want to say that uh, you know if you like this podcast, we have been getting a, a, a pretty good bit of listeners. And I'm very excited about it. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, but if you would, go give us a rating. Go give us a review on iTunes. It really helps if you comment and give good things. It helps get it out there, get up in the algorithms. Also, I want you to know that I'm on Pandora. Both of my albums, Making That Fudge and Son of a Ditch, are on Pandora Radio. So if you don't listen to comedy on there, if you don't even know about it, go to Pandora. Make yourself an account. Start a Dusty Slay radio station. And then you can hear comedy from me and other people like me. But if you already have a comedy station that you enjoy, just add me in. You know, Just add Dusty Slay. And then whenever my songs come up uh, or my tracks, give them a thumbs up. That really helps me too. I would appreciate that. And share this podcast. You know, I listened to a podcast recently called... Cocaine and Rhinestones country podcast, and I've really been enjoying it. And and a guy, the the host of that, he always says, share this podcast with at least one person. So that's what I'll say too. I mean, I say share it with ten people, but at the very least, share it with a person. Tell somebody, hey, I got a, a comedian friend, and he doesn't bog you down with heavy topics. And we try to really plan it out and keep it rolling, so it's not meandering around. But we also want it to be funny, want it to be fun. So share it with people. And uh, and if you have 
things that you'd like me to talk about, um, email me at dusty.slay at gmail.com or hit me up on any of my social medias, Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Dusty Slay. My uh, website is dustyslay.com and on Facebook at Dusty Slay Comedy. And so, you know, because Brian Bates contacted me, a friend of mine, Brian Bates, he's a hilarious comedian, and he sent me this video about time travel stuff. And uh, I don't know that I believe in time travel, uh, but there are some interesting videos out there. I don't know if you've seen any of these, Hannah, but there's uh, videos where people, there's a couple where, where there shows a woman walking by and she appears to have her hand to her head like she's on a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And then there's like one at a Mike Tyson match. Where in the background you see a guy looks like he's holding up a smartphone taking pictures of the match. And there's a few of those things. There's like one of like, it looks like it's back in the 20s. And there's a guy who looks just like Jay-Z. Like standing there with an old school like mob outfit on. I've seen some old school actress from the 20s or the 30s supposedly look like Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of those out there. I think that's pretty interesting. I don't know that I believe in time travel. But, you know, back to the Donald Trump conspiracy that we had about the time travel. I mean, the Tesla stuff. I mean, it seems like this guy, Tesla, Nikola Tesla, invented some stuff that that is pretty serious. Yeah, he does. But, you know, I don't I don't I don't know too much about this stuff. I, I don't feel like I researched it properly. I didn't research it at all, but I've watched videos on it before. And I also just watched the movie Back to the Future. <laughs> and uh, well, I was saying to you the other day that, you know, we drive on the road all the time and I drove, what, seven hours the other day. And in a way, driving in a car feels like time travel because you're in motion through time yet you're fixed within that motion by sitting in your car. And then, you know, after a seven hour drive, it takes you so long to get to your destination. But then once you get there, it feels like it never even happened. Like totally. Like you're like, where did all that time go? I know. Cause you're just staring out at the window and you're just, there's a song that says, I'm looking at the world through a windshield. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing. <laughs> We're looking at the world through a windshield. Yeah, but I think the the time warp that happens to you physically when you drive like that is real. I don't know. Because it's tiring that you're sitting the whole time, but of course you're focused because you're driving. And then, yeah, the second you get home, you're like, did that even happen? Yeah, sometimes when I'm driving, I'll be focused on the road, focused on my phone, focused on so many things. You focused on your phone when you're hyper driving. Hyper focused on many things while I'm in the car. You should be really careful. Yeah, you be should be. Phone. Should be really careful. Yeah, you should be. Yeah, you should be. But I can do a lot of. I can really multitask while I drive. I can't even multitask when I'm not driving. Okay, so here's our next segment. This is the other segment that I like to call advice to younger comics. Uh, again, as I like to state always. Uh, I'm not giving advice to comics that are at my level or above because, uh, you know, I don't have any advice to give you. But if you're a younger comic, then I do have some insight on some things because I've been there, done that. You know what I mean? So I'd like to share stuff. And, and I got to tell you, I've been seeing a lot of things where people are just blaming uh, their lack of accomplishment in comedy on things they can't control. And I'm not saying that those things may not exist, that there might not be biases based on sex or race or gender, but uh, or anything. 
we can't do anything about those things. So blaming people for anything, though, it doesn't help your cause. And I just want to say, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I know, you know, I mean, everybody complains. Everybody feels like, um, you know, that I'm not getting something because of this reason. And 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 I'm not telling you that, that that's not true. I'm not telling you that you're not right about that. But you can't do anything about it. So you have to figure out how to just get yourself noticed and just do your best at comedy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, the reality is, is sometimes the industry just doesn't like whatever it is that you got going on. And then conversely, the industry is really into, you know, 10 people. Yeah. And they, you know, really formulate a way to make sure those 10 people have careers. And you know, that makes sense from a business point of view because they need to invest in someone that they think is going to make them money and that isn't going to screw them over. Right. You know, so. And I just worked with James Gregory a couple weekends. And James Gregory told me that when he was younger, when he was getting started, he kept getting rejected from TV. Like he never got the TV opportunities. But he said to himself that he decided that comedy is what he wanted to do. So it's like, if I'm not going to get on TV, I got to figure out how to make this work. Uh, for me, without having TV. And I think that that's a real focus for people now is everybody wants to be on TV, and I get it. But, I mean, it's like it's kind of the thing. Uh, if you just want to be a comic, and that's what I always say, I just want to do comedy. I love doing comedy. I think it's really fun. Um, but, you know, TV helps you get that audience. It helps you headline comedy clubs because you then have a draw. But TV is not necessarily what I desire. You know, TV would be great if that happened but i just want to do comedy i love doing comedy and so you gotta you know figure out how to make comedy work for you and that's what james gregory talked to me about how he made it work for him now granted someone offers me a tv show i'm gonna take it (laughs) i'm gonna do it but my my goal my is that i want to be a comedian i want to be uh you know a comedian that people know about and go see yeah and there's not a lot of like stand-up purists where they really just want to do stand-up and that's all they want i mean a lot of i, I mean i think a lot of people want to do stand-up as a means to to a tv show or to fame basically yeah. and that's normal but uh if those opportunities aren't coming to you and on then all you're really doing is stand-up but you are not satisfied with just doing stand-up it's it could be a really hard life for you because stand-up at times is fucking terrible yeah and there's not a lot of people i mean there's a ton of people that are doing stand-up but there's not a lot of people that can really do it you know i mean as a percentage i mean it is a unique thing it's not a thing that everybody can do i mean a lot of my friends a lot of some some of my best friends that have very successful careers in whatever they're doing uh, probably making a lot more money than me. They're like just so blown away that I'm able to get up on stage and talk in front of people like that. Mm-hmm. These are people that are very successful in other aspects of life, but just the fact of standing in front of people and talking terrifies them. So there's not a lot of people that are able to do what we're doing. And that that's, again, this is still advice to younger comics to me. It's like, no matter what it is, no matter what your gender or sex or race is, I mean, if you can do stand-up comedy, you have a unique talent. So you just got to figure out how to, 
you got to you know you got to set yourself in your mind hey this is what i want to do i'm going to do this no matter what no matter what kind of adversity comes my way i'm going to do it yeah you have to decide that this is what you really want to do and you right. believe that you're good at it and then and then you know you got to figure out i mean a lot of time i just been seeing a lot of people lately that that will um they'll act like that uh uh, because I feel like I've been yelling into the microphone the whole time. I just put the headphones on, and now I'm like, "Wow, I've been yelling." Uh, but the, uh, you know, the, the, they'll blame. They'll say, "Oh, I'm not getting these opportunities because of this or because of that." And then, but a lot of them, I know some of them personally, and I would think, you know, well, I would book you on my show, uh, and I, but I just need you to work harder at comedy. You know, and it's not a it's not a thing that it's not it's not that you're not funny. It's not that you're not uh, doing well. It's that you know when you book someone, when someone is booking a show, they need to be able to trust that you're going to do a good job. And sometimes when someone's really new at comedy, they won't get a lot of opportunities because it's like, well, I don't know that they're going to do a good job. And a lot of that is just buckling down at home and doing the writing and really working and recording your sets and being honest with yourself. So many comics, I feel like, aren't honest with themselves. When they don't do well, they don't know that they don't do well. Or if they don't do well and they know it, they blame it on the audience. We're all guilty of that. I've blamed many, many an audience for my bad comedy at times. But deep down, it's like that audience decides what's funny that night. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get laughs, then the audience voted and decided you weren't funny. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got to create a connection with the audience and get them into your act because, yeah, I mean, it's feasible to think that your act, wherever you created it, isn't going to be as digestible in another area. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's just the case and there's nothing you can do, but also... I don't know. I just think like being good at stand up has so much more to do with you being able to connect with an audience. Totally. You know, and I think sometimes, I mean, just in my own experience, I'll just like throw my jokes at them and be like, why didn't they laugh? They liked them the other night. But it's like, well, I just kind of look like I was going through the motions or. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that it's not hard to be comics based on different things. I mean, I know as being married to a female comic. Hannah Hogan, that uh, people come up to her after shows a lot and will say things like, uh, I don't normally find women funny, but you were really funny. And it's like women come up to me women come up and say that because men would never say that to a woman. And, and I don't think so. A woman, a man's never come up to me and said, I don't think women are funny because they know that they I would probably have a problem with that. But when a woman says it, it's like, hey, I'm a girl. I get to say whatever I want, even if it's sexist. Right. So I'm not saying that audiences don't sit in the audience. And when a woman comes out, go, oh, she's not going to be funny. But there are a lot of very successful, funny women out there. So um, we can, all of these things can be done. Everybody can do things. And um, and do you have any other advice for, for up-and-coming comics? No. No. Good luck. Okay. Yeah, good luck. And, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah. But the important thing, this is always what I think, the important thing is to write jokes, to get out there, to perform them. Perform in as many places as you can. When I used to, I'll tell you this story. When I was, when I was first starting comedy, my friend was telling me that. He was telling me, perform anywhere you can. If you got friends that are in bands, contact them, try to open for them. 
I was like, okay, cool. So I had friends that were in two different bands, and uh, they were playing a double header. So the idea was that I was going to go, and then after the first band, I was going to do five or ten minutes of comedy, and then the second band would play. Both of these bands were my friends. They agreed to do it. So the first guy, he went up and he did his his band. He was a little bit of an older guy, and uh, but he was my friend. We got drunk a lot back in the day. This was in Charleston. And, but he did this weird thing because he got me on this show. He got a quote unquote, got me on this show, even though I was friends with both of the people. Uh, he went up, he, he, he said that after the show, he was like, after my set, you know, when you go up to start doing your comedy, I want you to try to get the audience to get me to do an encore. I want you to go up and go, oh, that band was really great. How about an encore? Right? <laughs> and I was like, I was very uncomfortable with that. But I was like, all right, I'll do it, whatever, who cares? So I go up, he, his band's done, and then I go out and I go, oh, that was really great, huh? Oh, man, I'd love to see another song. How about an encore? And then I was kind of like going, encore. And then he start. the, the, the audience was not saying encore. That's so funny. The audience was not saying encore. And then I'm up there doing it, and I look back at the curtain, and I see him about to come out with his guitar. Like, well, if the audience wants it, then I'll come back out. And then the guy over the running the soundboard comes over the the system and goes, "Yeah, that's that's not really how it works around here. We gotta break everything down." And so it's like, okay, so he went back, and then I start doing my comedy, and then the guy comes back on the PA, and he's like, "Yeah." I got to unhook all these microphones. I got to do all this. So you can't be up here. You can't be up here doing this. That's what you were brought there for. Right. Right. So I just, I'm like, Oh, okay. So I was completely (laughs) embarrassed. And, uh, so then once all the stuff is changed out, my friend who was in the second band comes up and they're about to start and they go, Hey, uh, my friend Dusty Slay came out to do some comedy. When we get him up here, let him do some comedy before we get started. And then I didn't have a lot of material, and this was a fairly new joke that I was working on. Actually, I was working on a joke about being stabbed by a girl in middle school that I told on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And it was a real bomb. So all of this hoopla, uh, I don't know where that word comes from, but uh, all this hoopla about, oh, I'm trying to get an encore, and then I can't do it, and then I'm off the stage, and then I'm back on stage, and now I'm doing comedy. And it, and it bombed, and I'm sure everyone regretted having me on that show, including myself. But the point is that that made me so uncomfortable that it made me tougher. It, every other situation became less embarrassing than that one. Yeah. So it's important to put yourself in those situations to make you tougher. Yeah. I mean, I used to do Charleston Music Hall. A friend of mine, he runs that. He used to let me do a week, a monthly show at this Charleston Music Hall. And this was when the Charleston Music Hall had just been refurbished. It was just getting back. So he needed stuff in there. So he would have me... Do a show, and this was a 900-seat theater. The most amount of people I ever got in there was 300 people. But that was with my friend Evan Burke leaving to move to New York City. He got the cover of the city paper. It was a big deal. But uh, the last show I ever did there, I had about 30 people in a 900-seat theater. And that's very embarrassing. But in that show, I still remember, I've been doing comedy for quite a while. But in that show, that show is where I finally felt comfortable on stage. Like, I just was all about my material. I was never comfortable on stage. I was like 100%. These are my jokes. I'm going to go on. I'm going to do these jokes. If it goes well, great. 
But during that show, I was like, wow, I'm actually having fun standing here doing this. And I've been having fun since. That's the key. Yeah. Just to actually enjoy the funny things you're saying. Yeah. It's, 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 it's almost egotistical in a way to enjoy stand up that to that degree, because you're like, these people are in this audience. They're listening to me. I'm just going to say whatever I want to say. And, mm-hmm. but it helps you to have that bit of an ego. I think you should, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to how I feel when I'm telling certain jokes um, like lately I have these new bits that are kind of like dirty. Yeah. And if I just do them without other dirty jokes that I have, it feels fine. But, uh, I feel like I get to a point in my set if I do all of them together that I'm like, Oh, this is too crass. And I feel, right. and yeah. I feel like, Oh, I don't want to be this kind of comic. I don't want to be this kind of. It just is, and I can feel the audience being like, ooh, like it's like, not even like they don't like it, but like it's just like, it's, you're going, you're taking them to this dirty place. Yeah. You know, and then I have other jokes where I kind of get not political, but social political, I suppose. And, and I don't like the way that's been making me feel later, lately either. Yeah. Because it's just like bringing up politics on stage and stuff like that. So the jokes that I like the most are like my sillier jokes, my jokes that aren't mm-hmm. like challenging anyone's morals yeah. or whatever like that. Like I'm just like, hey, we're just going to have a good time. I've been doing a lot of jokes about peeing lately, and uh, I feel like the same way. I feel like I got too, so many jokes. I got jokes about not washing my hands, <laughs> yeah. and then I got jokes about peeing outside and yeah. peeing on ants, and I just feel like I have a lot of jokes about peeing, and I'm just like, uh, I feel the same way. After a while, I'm like, wow, I've been talking about peeing a lot. But Yeah, that's the thing. When you piece it all together, you're like, oh, I'm a creep. <laughs> but I'm like, I am legitimately. But you write it separately so you don't. Yeah, I'm legitimately just sharing experiences. I'm not yeah. even being creepy about it. I'm like, you know, I like to pee outside. I do. I like it because um, I pee outside. I live in an apartment complex now. I pee outside on that porch all the time. Do you? Yeah. Dang, a, boy, I didn't know you did that. Well, there's a bush right in front of the banister, so at nighttime, I'll just stand behind the bush. I mean, men do that, though. My dad's the same way. My yeah. whole childhood, we would be leaving the house to get in our car and go somewhere. Right. And so he'd leave the house, lock the door, and then go pee yeah. outside, beside, like, you know, somewhere near right. the car. I'm like, why wouldn't you just use the restroom? It's like right in our well, house. Well, this is what I'm saying. All right. If I go, let's, let's say this I use the toilet to pee. And then I washed my hands. I flushed at least a gallon of water away, a gallon of clean, crisp drinking water away. And now I've washed my hands and I've wasted more water. Is that really your concern? No, but I'm just saying. And then if I go out, I honestly don't care about saving water, but but I'm just saying a lot of people do. And yeah. then and then I wash my hands and I've now wasted more water. Right? So if I just if I'm sitting outside on the porch having a cigar and I'm like, oh, I got to pee. I could set my cigar down, come inside, pee, waste all that water, risk my cigar going out. Once the cigar goes out, then you relight it. It's not as tasty. So I risk it going out. Or I could stand out there, cigar in mouth, and just pee all over those bushes. Well, maybe that's why we have so many ants. I don't think the ants are attracted to the pee. <laughs> There's no way of telling. There is no way of telling. I don't judge you, though. I actually just, since you've been talking about pee, 
Uh, I've actually gotten really good at peeing in my car into cups. Oh, yeah? Discarded Starbucks and coffee cups. I've actually just started doing that. Well, you know, it's way more impressive when a girl does it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm not even exactly sure, you know, where it's coming from. Right. So Who I does? have to kind of aim and no then just... No one knows where the pee comes from in a woman. Right. I have to just sort of let it go. Because usually if I'm... Every time if I'm doing it, it's because I really have to go. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, don't want to go in somewhere yet or something like that. So I basically like prop myself up in my car, put the cup underneath me, and then just kind of let it go a little bit to make sure it's not dribbling onto this the seat. Yeah. And um, I've gotten quite efficient at it. And then I have to, of course, you know, get up and then chuck the water, uh, you know, nearby down a drain or something like that. I had two cups in my cup holders completely full of pee the other day. What? (laughs) You don't get rid of it right away? Well, I can't. I don't want to pour it out while I'm driving. Oh, you do it when you drive? Yeah. Yeah. See, I can't do it driving. It's like a two-hand operation. Oh, okay. I'm sitting in my car usually before a gig. Like, if I got there too early, I don't feel like going in yet or I... Just want to stay. If I'm just lazy, want to stay in my car. I'll. I have to like hold it with two hands oh. underneath, and like prop myself up yeah. off the chair because that's what I'm saying. I can't whip anything out. I have to. Right. I have to strategically place it. Yeah, I had two cups. I mean, I was I was on my way to a bathroom in the car the other day, and I was. I was panicking. This is making me have to pee. I actually my, have to pee right now. My stomach was hurting. I was panicking. All right, and, you keep talking. I'm going to go pee. And I had to, uh, I had to pee into the cups while driving down the road. And then yesterday on the way back, or uh, Sunday on the way back home, I just peed in a cup driving because I was like, well, I had to pee real bad, but I was also like, I'm getting good at this. So yeah, I just peed in a cup the other day on the way home just because I'm I'm getting good at it. But I never was good at it. What you have to do, what I have to do is lift myself up a bit in the car. Mm-hmm. And then so that I can have the cup flat. Because I had peed uh, all over myself in the past trying to. <laughs> I peed on the seat a little bit the other day. Uh, and then I, I used one of those Armor All wipes that I would wipe the dash down with yeah. to clean the seat. And it actually cleaned up some of the stains, like food stains that were on there. Oh. So it encouraged me to clean all the seats in my car. It actually ended up being quite productive. But Well, see, that's my fear. I don't want to spill pee on me or in my car, and then I go into a club or something, and they're like, she kind of smells like piss. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, like, you have that subtle smell of piss, and people are like, yeah, I mean, she's... I don't Cute know. girl, but she kind of smells like piss. Yeah. Well, I've not been wearing deodorant for a while. And in the wintertime, and, and this is why I don't like to wear deodorant, because they're, they're this, this really, honestly, I mean, I talked about saving water, and then I ended it with saying I really don't care, and I don't. But when it comes to my own body, I feel like that uh, whether you believe that our bodies were intelligently designed or evolved, um, we've developed this uh, thing to sweat out of our armpits. You know what I mean? And if we put something on our armpits that stops us from sweating, then we're stopping a basic bodily function. And I feel like that in some for some reason it's happening and it needs to happen. So that's why I don't like to wear it. Uh, but sometimes I smell. Yesterday I smelled pretty bad. And I apologize to people uh, at the show. They would be like, can we take a picture with you? And I was like, well, 
Oh, that. you smelled bad the other night? Last night, yeah. Last night? Sure. Why did sure. you smell bad last night? Well, I didn't wear deodorant, then I forgot. In the summertime, sometimes. You gotta wear deodorant in the summer, babe. Well, I don't want to wear it every day, but when I do shows, I need to be putting it on. Yeah, I actually I have never worn deodorant, but I always wear deodorant in the summer. But I, I need, you know, I just, I had to tell them. I actually. I guess I wear deodorant on stage, but. I apologize to the front row last night. I don't think it was that bad, but I just apologize. Damn, really? I didn't smell anything when you came home. I don't think it was that big of a deal. I never have you smelling bad, but maybe I like the way you smell bad. You yeah. Know what I mean, maybe that's the problem. But I had someone, uh, my friend, uh, uh, well, I'll just say Lucy, At uh, we went to the Laughing Skull Festival. And uh, the first day I was there, I actually was, it was hot. I didn't have deodorant with me. And I think I smelled pretty bad. But the next day she texted me and she was like, hey, can I? Can I talk to you about something? And I thought she was going to talk to me about, like, being more aggressive at trying to talk to industry people and stuff. Like, try to give me a little pep talk. And she was like, and you could tell that she didn't want to talk to me about this. But she was like, could you, like, get some deodorant or something? She was like, I heard someone talking about you and about you smelling bad. And I don't want you to be the smelly guy. And it cracked me up. Because I was like, yeah, I know I smelled bad yesterday. Yeah. And I'm not... So I went and got deodorant, and I smelled fine the rest of the time. But I just I just thought it was hilarious. Because she was like... You could tell that she didn't want to talk to me about it. But I was so like, oh, no, no. Because you know the people that smell bad, and, and like, you, you never want to talk to them about smelling bad? I'm yeah, not, but then behind their back, everyone's like, they smell. Yeah, I'm not that guy. Like, No, you're not. When I smell bad, I know that I smell bad. But I also can fix it. It's not that I'm not showering. It's that I'm not putting on this weird thing on my body that clogs up my... That's why I'm afraid of being the piss girl. Yeah, you don't want to be the piss girl. No, nah, and you don't want to be the smelly guy either. So that's why, if, you know, everyone smells every once in a while. But you just got to kind of lock it up and not make it a yeah. consistent thing. Yeah, know? I was in Atlanta. It's hot in Atlanta. That's why they call it hot Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'd like to tell this story. And this story is about uh, some drugs that I did. If uh, I'm a, a grown man now. Well, the, wait. This story is called Your Bad Acid Trip. The story is called My Bad Acid Trip. Now, if you know my parents and you're listening to this, I'd like you to not tell them about this. I'm a grown man, but I'd still rather them not know. I don't think they listen to my podcast, but if you're a friend of my mom or dad and you're listening to this right now and you're going, oh, I got to ask, I got to ask his parents about this. Don't just let it be our thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you were also what? 17. Yeah. This was, uh, I was 18. I was out of high school. It was a summer after high school. And yeah, so it's. Almost 18 years ago is when this happened. So I'm very clean and uh, I smell bad sometimes, but my life is good. So this story, I've changed the names, but this story is about me and seven of my friends and an extra guy uh, that I didn't know all getting together at my mom's house while she's gone and we were going to do acid. Now, we had did acid before. Prior to this. So this was none of our first rodeo at this. But we got a guy, and I'm going to call him Ryan. And Ryan uh, was a private school kid, and he got... We were all public school kids. Ryan was a private school kid, and his friend was with him. And he always got the good drugs. I mean, he was a very well-known uh, for doing drugs. And uh, Ryan with an R. I made up this name, but I don't want you to confuse it. And uh, he was going to get us... Some acid. And so we were like, great, it's going to be really good, right? So he brought over these sugar cubes, 
uh, with liquid acid on it. And, uh, and we, you know, I had bought four of them and, uh, my friend Jim was there and Jim, Jim is the same guy from a previous story that had his, uh, car stolen at the gas station. Uh, so Jim, uh, he didn't have any, he didn't order any. So I gave him one of mine. I had three, he had one. And now me and my friends, Brett, Jerry, and Joe, we all jumped in the car after we took the acid. We were like, we're going to ride on down to the gas station here that's about a mile away. We're going to get some supplies for the night. And then while we're in the gas station, it really the acid really starts to take effect, and it's very strong. But we're feeling great. We're like, this is, this is awesome. We're having a good time. And we're joking around with the gas station lady. And then the windows are all fogged up because it's summertime, but they have the AC going. So these big, giant glass windows in the gas station are fogged out, so you can't see outside. But it's pretty late at night. And we open the door, and there is a cop car sitting right outside of the door. And his car is pointed directly at my driver's side door. And we all, so we're all calm and cool, and we all just get in the car and we're like kind of freaking out in our minds. And I realized that I don't have my car keys on me. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't have my car keys. And we sat there for a minute. And then Jerry, he gets out and he goes inside, finds that I left my keys on the counter, grabs them, brings them to me. We crank up the car. We drive away. Everything's fine. But that paranoia and that fear really sent a bad vibe through this trip like we were in such a good space of having a good time but now we're like just we're all just feeling weird you know overwhelmed so we get back to the house now my mom has been remodeling the house she's been tearing up the floor and 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 laying a new floor down so the house is destroyed there's stuff all over the place and it's so we walk back in and it's just very disorganized and we see a strobe light going in the back room So I walk back there. I actually walk back there to tell them to cut the strobe light off. And that's when Jim, as soon as I get into the room, he jumps out of the corner and is like, ah, and uh, freaks me out. Like, I'm already paranoid, already freaked out, already anxious, and this sends me over the edge. And I just go back out to the front porch, and I'm like, everyone's freaking me out. Just get away from me. And then another guy there, Chuck. Now, Chuck was a homeless guy. Chuck was walking from Georgia to Alabama on the interstate when one of my friend's dads saw him, picked him up, and brought him to his house. And my friends were like, hey, we got this homeless guy, and he raps. He's really short. He raps. We think you'll like him. So I was like, yeah, bring him over. They brought Chuck over. He stayed for a couple of months. Like, he was just there now. So Chuck comes outside and he's trying to be cool, but he's like, I'm not, I'm not freaking you out, Emma. I'm not freaking you out, Emma. I'm not freaking you out, Emma. And it just seems like he's getting closer and closer and closer and just freaking me out more. So I go to Ryan and I'm like, Ryan, let's get out of here. And he's like, I, I, I can't now I'm at my own house and I'm ready to leave. And he's like, I can't, I can't. I'm, he said, I'm really messed up. I can't drive. And it's like to know that he was so messed up. He couldn't drive said something for all of us. It was like, we're all in trouble now. Because that guy did so many drugs. Yes. So then I find Timmy, and uh, I go to Timmy. I'm like, let's get out of here. And Timmy had this. Uh, um, Timmy, I don't know what I. What I don't know what name I gave him in the last story that I told, but he was the guy that I got arrested with. Uh, instead of going to the army, I got arrested with this guy. And uh, but I don't know what name I gave him before. None of these names are real. 
But Timmy uh, was, uh, he had an old Honda Accord with a shattered windshield. I mean, it was just cracks all over this thing. So, you know, and I don't know if you know anything about acid, but people had always told me about this, that, that you see purple elephants and reindeer and all these different things. And I never saw anything like that. But you get these weird visuals and your whole vision is just messed up. I don't, I don't endorse this. I'm not telling people to do these. If you have done it, I bet you had a good time. But I'm not telling you to do it. But you get these weird kind of visuals. But I never saw like purple elephants. So Timmy's driving. I'm riding in the car. It's raining and the windshield shattered. So we go to a payphone, if that tells you anything about the time period. We go to a payphone to call some friends so they can let us come over and hang out at their house. And uh, uh, no one wants our, our – they can hear the craziness in our voices, I think. And they're like, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> we're good. And uh, so we just get in the car, and we just start driving. And I go, let's go to my sister's house. Now, before I tell you this, I mean, this is probably midnight, 1 a.m. when this is happening. And about two months earlier, my sister, who I've been very close with my whole life, and my brother-in-law, we get into a fight because my brother-in-law had found some stuff, some drugs at my house. He had found some weed. And he was just joking around with me about it. But I was so sensitive that I freaked out on him. And I was just, I freaked out on him. I freaked out on him and her. I yelled at them. And it was a big fight, big blow up. And we didn't talk for a couple of months. So now here I am in the middle of, midst of this bad acid trip in the car with my friend. And I'm like, let's go to my sister's house. I haven't talked to her in months. It's 2 a.m. Let's get to her house. And uh, so we get in the car. Now, keep in mind that there is about five or six other people at my house We don't have cell phones. They have no idea where I've gone. Uh, I'm just gone. And I've left these people on drugs at my mom's house. I was just freaked out. So we get in. We're in the car. We're driving down the road. We get about halfway. We get to Tuskegee. And Timmy pulls over and he goes, I can't drive anymore. So it's like either we're just stuck there or I have to drive. So I start driving and DMX is stuck in the CD player. So it's like you can't listen to anything but DMX. Stop. (laughs) Drop. Shut them down, open up shop. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yes. There's a rough rider low. Right. So that's playing, and we're just driving. And I, I can't be going faster than 45. I can only see a small, I have very, uh, I have tunnel vision, and I can only see a little bit in front of me. And the rain is coming down, and trucks are just passing us left and right. Big diesel trucks are just passing us left and right. And we're just, I'm at 10 and 2, just driving. And... We finally pull up at my sister's house, and uh, we just knock on the door. Again, we have no cell phones. We didn't call them. They didn't. Oh, you just showed up? Yeah, they had no idea we were coming. Wow. So we just knock on the door, and and, and I had uh, dyed my hair like this maroon color. So. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. That should have been the first yeah, detail of the story. Been. It should have been. But maroon? Anyway, Anybody that knows me during this time knows that I was wearing Jinkos and and skull t-shirts and uh, I had bleached hair for most of the time. Even even at one point during this time I had shaved my eyebrows off <laughs> just for fun. I'm so happy they grew back. But I was doing a lot of weird stuff. I was having a rough time. I, it's just after high school. I'm not going to college. I'm trying to find my place in the world. Sounds like you're really in puberty, though. Yeah, I'm struggling. I am struggling. I did a midlife crisis at 18. I mean, I'm struggling. 
So I show up at my sister's house and they open the door. They just let us right in. I mean, no questions asked. I go in, I start, and me and my sister go into her room and I just start crying, right? I'm so freaked out that I just start crying. And then I... (laughs) So cute though. uh, Because your sister's like 12 years older than you. So so you're a kid and she's an adult. Right. But I left Timmy in, and I left Timmy in the room with my brother-in-law. And Timmy doesn't know whether to tell my brother-in-law that we're on drugs or not. I just know that the line was, my brother-in-law said to him, said, do you want some coffee? And he said, yes. He said, how do you take it? He said, make it like my grandmother makes it. Right? And, and my brother-in-law has no idea who his grandmother is. But it just was a... F- so we finally confessed to them what we've done. They're very understanding. They're not upset with us. And they, my, my sister had had this room that was... Um, they had no kids at the time, but they had a, a guest room that was decorated in all Toy Story, right? Those Toy Story stuff all over the walls, and there's two twin beds in there. So me and Timmy get into these beds, and there's a long cord from the ceiling fan with a white uh, button on the end. And as the ceiling fan's going, this button is just going in a circle, and it's just like one big tracer. This looks like a circle. This Toy Story all over the wall. And me and Timmy, we just sat there in those beds all night and just talk to each other. Just figure out all the problems of the world. You know, one moment we don't even know what to do with our own selves. The next minute we have the rest of the world's problems figured out. And so the next morning we get up and we leave. We go out into the driveway and the car is parked halfway in the driveway, halfway still in the street. Like we, we didn't even make it into the driveway and it was such a raggedy car. It looked a bit, a a little bit like the, uh, uh, the, the DeLorean in uh, back to the future after it made a few trips. I mean, it was just raggedy. So we get back in it and we drive home. And when we get home, three guys, it's Chuck, uh, uh, Brett and Joe are sitting in the, in the, yard in lawn chairs and as we pull up they like throw up their hands they're like what happened to you so we tell them about the crazy thing we did thinking that we had the craziest story of the night but meanwhile we figure out that ryan and his friend had to leave because they got so freaked out and then jerry had to leave they took him to someone else's house because he was so freaked out. They took him to like these real hippie friends they had and they gave him like tea and, 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 you know, really like calmed him down. But Brett and Jim had gone to get wheat and they went into the projects. They went into the worst neighborhood in Opelika to buy wheat. Um, and cause apparently they weren't paranoid enough. So they go in there and, uh, Jim has this truck and uh, they go into the projects and these guys come up. He opens the door and all these guys come up and they're all like, buy my weed, buy my weed, buy my weed. And then one guy puts a gun in his hip and is like, just give me the money. And rather than him just giving them the $25 they were probably going to spend, he throws the car in first gear and takes off. Wow. And then the guy starts shooting and he and, and Jim throws Brett's head down in the floorboard. He grabs his head, he throws him down, and then a shot hits the back glass and goes through the front windshield. Now, later I sat in the truck, and if he, if if Jim had not thrown Brett's head down in the floorboard, the bullet would have gone straight through his head. 
So Jim is gone. Jim is at home trying to figure out what he's going to do about his truck. And so there was almost a death. Everybody freaked out. And then, uh, you know, and these people are just still sitting in my driveway and we're all just hanging out. And then, uh, and then, and the night was wrapped up. I mean, it's nine in the morning and here we are picking up the pieces uh, of what was supposed to be just a fun little acid trip, you know? So drugs are bad. Did you do acid after that? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I did. (laughs) And, uh, it was never good again though, to be honest. I had, I, was that good to you? No. No, that's what I'm saying. I had, I had had some fun times. I had done it previously mm-hmm. and I had had some fun times. And then this happened and it was so bad that I tried it once, one more time. And, oh, I don't know. That's not entirely true, but, uh, there was one time when it was good, but I did it a few times and, uh, it just wasn't the same though after that. Yeah. I mean, I guess don't take drugs from private school kids. Well, the thing about it is with drugs being illegal, and I'm not advocating for the legalization of drugs, but with drugs being illegal, uh, there is no regulation. You have no idea what's in there, you know? So, uh, you know, one, one level, one thing could be this amount of strength and the next thing could be twice that strength. You have no idea when things aren't regulated, you have no idea. Not to say that legal drugs can't be just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, uh, if they're not, you know, properly prescribed, if you're just taking them recreationally, it could be very dangerous. But like I say, this was 18 years ago, but I'd still rather you not tell my parents. Uh, and, uh, but I think that's a fun story. I've always enjoyed that story. I mean, looking back, what a wild time. Mm-hmm. This all happened in a night, but it's like, it was just supposed to be a fun night, but it's like the moment the drugs kicked in, we all freaked out and it wasn't fun. It's so crazy to think though, that just drugs induce that kind of paranoia in you where you couldn't even sit still in your own house. Right. That's the thing that's so interesting to me is that there was nothing wrong. Yeah. None of us had any problems. All we had to do was just hang out at the house, turn the TV on, watch some crazy movie. But, yeah. but instead our mind, I mean, our minds were the only way that I can describe it is that my mind was just overwhelmed. I had no idea um, what was going on, but I just, I feel very protected. I mean, I feel like, I mean, you know, I feel like God, uh, looked out for me because that could have gone a whole different way. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, to the, to the degree that, you know, had, uh, Brett been shot in the head, um, you know, that's all going to come. I mean, it'd be very sad. I still talk to him to this day. That'd be very sad. Um, but, um, he, um, and that would have come back to me. It would have been linked back to me because he would have taken drugs at my house mm-hmm. and probably would have came down on my mom too, who had no idea we were doing these things. She had no idea. She still has no idea, which is why I would rather you not tell her. Yeah. It's crazy to think of all the, uh, you know, questionable circumstances that young people put themselves in. I mean, to it a little bit, we do it when we get older, but I think, you know, you just think back on what you were up to 18 to 25. Yeah. I mean, there were so many times where things could have just gone wrong, very likely gone wrong. And yeah, but I you mean, somehow got out of it in my twenties. I mean, the amount of drinking and driving I did was very, very dangerous. Yeah. And, uh, would, I would never do that now, but I did it. You well, know. you wouldn't do that now because you don't drink. Right, but... Well, I feel yeah. like you would do it now if you drink. <laughs> well, totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But, I mean, all of these people on, on this list, with the exception of Chuck, I have no idea what happened to Chuck. 
he's a homeless guy. He was a homeless guy, and we and 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 he's gone. And That's actually one of the most questionable parts of the whole story. Is like, why were you letting a random homeless kid stay at your house? Well, he was like my age, and we were all living a bit like hippies anyway. And and we liked him. He had a great personality. He was fun to hang out with. I actually genuinely liked the dude. I have no idea where he's at, but I oh, liked him. Okay. And uh, but like Ryan, I know. Um, the guy who, who who was pretty well known around town for doing a lot of drugs uh, is, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure a scientist now. Like, he's doing very well for himself. Uh, Joe and Jerry and Jim and Brett, I talk to them all. Timmy, I talk to them all still. I mean, they're all doing, they're all doing fine. So everybody in this story, in the end, is doing fine. Well, I don't know. Joe and Jerry is questionable. Jim, too. But they're still alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, well, that's fun. Yeah, so it's like it's a good time. Um, you know, it was it was it's a great story. I mean, immediately after it was over, it was fine. I mean, and I'm lucky to have you know my sister who she could have easily been like, "Get out of here! What are you doing? Don't come up here to my house on drugs." But instead, she was like, "Please come in. I care about you. I don't know what you're doing. I have no idea what you're on, but I care about your safety." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's great to have those people in your life, you know, and they didn't enable me. She wasn't calling me up next week going, do you need any drugs? Do you need me to buy them for you? You know what I mean? Uh, but she uh, cared about my safety. Your sister's sort of like your mom. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, and you know, I mean, it was like, uh, it, was a, it was a bad trip, but it was a good time. You know what I mean? <laughs> the end of the day we're having, we're having a good time having a good time we're having a good time and i have a lot of things like that a lot this was one of the more severe ones uh, because uh, honestly uh, bad things didn't happen to me and my friends while we were hanging out i mean i've never had really bad things happen to us we've been in some bad situations where things could have gone really you've bad. always kind of gotten out yeah most of my friends the bad things that happened to them happened to them when they weren't hanging out with me yeah yeah, you've seen you've seemed to. I mean, you've gotten into some problems, though. You've been arrested and stuff like that before. But yeah, one you, time. But, it, but it's always been you kind of got the good end of the deal. Yeah, I got, I got youthful offender, which means it's not on my record, which is great. It's it's kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, you got in trouble, don't do this again, and and you're gonna be fine. We'll talk about it on another episode. Yeah, I did talk about being arrested, but oh, okay, not in not in. The detail that... So that's a fantastic story. I think that's one of my all-time favorite stories. Yeah. How that all played out. Yeah. Well, great, Dusty. Thanks for sharing your bad acid trip. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to discuss with the peeps? No, I don't think so. Um, Again, I'd like you to, you know, share this with somebody. Not with my parents, but somebody that you you know and like. Uh, Share this podcast with them. Uh, And do go on Pandora. Add me to your comedy station that you like. Give my tracks thumbs up. It helps me a lot. Uh, and um, give this give this uh, podcast a good review and a good rating. Uh, once again, our social medias: I am Instagram, Twitter at Dusty Slay, Facebook Dusty Slay Comedy. My website is DustySlay.com. Hannah is Instagram and Twitter Miss Hannah Hogan. Uh, Facebook Hannah Hogan, and uh, her website is HannahHoganComedy.com. Good job, Dusty. Yes, I don't know if I could bring off all of your handles. And um, email me at dusty.slay at gmail.com if you have questions about anything. I am clean and sober, and uh, all of these things are Maybe not my- clean, though. You've been pissing on yourself. Right, <laughs> right. I don't wear deodorant. <laughs> but uh, all of these uh, things are in my past. And uh, for some people listening, 
uh, family members, this could be a shocker. Because uh, I don't talk about these things. This could be a shocker. But I think when they saw you with maroon hair, yeah, but, they were like, he's probably getting up to something. But the thing about it is I've always been curious and I've always been all about learning. And I feel like the things that I've done, I learned lessons from them. I learned a lot from drinking the way that I did and quitting drinking. So I think that it's all life lessons and uh, we have to learn them. Uh, some people learn from their parents and other people learn from making mistakes. So, uh, most people do both. Yeah. I have learned a lot from making mistakes and I've learned a lot from my parents. So I have great parents. It's not their fault that I turned out the way I did. You turned out great. Yeah. I mean my midlife, midlife crisis, my quarter life crisis that I had, mm-hmm. it's not their fault, but we had a good time. I'll blame it on my friend Joe in this story. This, his name's not Joe, but he deserves a lot of the blame. Okay. But we had a good time, me and Joe. Yeah. But yeah, Jim in this story, his truck got shot out. He had a lot of he had a lot of car issues. He got shot, he got his glass shot out, and then in my other story, he's the guy that got his car stolen at the gas station. So <laughs> <laughs> different car too. Uh-huh. He had a lot going on, but we had a good time. All right, so that's going to do it for us. Uh, I'm glad Hannah's back. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Dusty Slay. This is Hannah Hogan, and we are having a good time. <laughs>